Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome to the Guilty as Charged podcast presented by the Chargers Podcast Network. My name is Steven, and I am the host, as always, and joining me is my guy, Tyler. Tyler, what's up, man? How are you doing this afternoon? You know, two and four Chargers, not so great. Getting EJ Snyder and Brett Coleman on the podcast, pretty darn good. Can't wait to see, uh, can't wait to show you guys what they had to say. Uh, you know, rarely do you get to have a bucket list person show up on the show and you get to interview them. We got both of them, so I'm excited to share that with you guys. Yeah, uh, definitely super excited to get this one out to you guys. We know that things are, are rough right now. We know we hear the frustration. We share a lot of the frustration. Uh, so we decided to uh, see if we could bring out the big guns today, and, and uh, thankfully we were able to do that. So uh, obviously you guys know Brett Coleman so far. If you watch this channel, um, hopefully you know EJ as well if you uh, consume any of their content. So um, they've greatly influenced our own podcast and certainly on this channel as we've kind of tried to figure out the best way to to talk about the Chargers on this channel. And, and so we've definitely stolen some ideas from them and uh, had a great conversation with them about the truth of the Chargers, the truth of the Bears. Uh, they were huge on Thule. They were by far the, the first ones to talk about Thule leading up to the draft. So, of course, had to pick their brains there. And uh, like Tyler said, hopefully you guys enjoy this uh, this conversation today. Uh, so as always, Tyler and I are fans of the team, just like you guys are. The opinions that we express on this show and every show on this channel are just that. They are our opinions. They are not the opinions of the Chargers organization. Uh, we are very grateful to have this platform, and uh, they are gracious enough to host us on this platform. So um, that's that's that. That's business. So uh, the interview did go a little bit longer than initially planned. We were Tyler and I were going to jump back in here after the interview and have some thoughts so we're, we're just going to do that now tyler uh biggest takeaway from the interview with uh with ej and brett before we uh get to the interview and then end the show man another Thule thing that we can talk about um the 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 11 press coverage snaps for Thule that ej mentioned within the interview i mean come on man like what can't this guy do because of course like the guy who played nose guard a bit at stanford and then some edge <laughs> and then some linebacker some D tackle, you name it. He's also really good at edge and standing over a guard and in press coverage and against the run, against your tight end, against your tackle, against your guard. I mean, the dude is just phenomenal. Again, what can't he do? Um, but anyway, yeah, both these guys, awesome. And then being high on Thule, of course, because they're the best in the business. Yeah, it, it only makes sense. So, um, again, certainly well worth a follow during draft season. Uh, my biggest takeaway is kind of what we've talked about. You know, the Chargers defense and their structure right now has to change this week or it's going to be another long day for the Chargers secondary. Uh, we'll get into all of that with Brett and EJ. We'll get into all the Thule stuff. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. Uh, we certainly had a great time speaking with those gentlemen and obviously wish them uh, great success on their own show. That being said, here is the conversation with Brett and EJ. And that will do it for our episode. We greatly appreciate you guys checking us out. Uh, make sure to subscribe, like, all that good stuff, and uh, enjoy the interview. We'll talk to you later. All right, guys. We are so happy now to be joined by the bootleg football guys, Mr. Brett Coleman and, and uh, EJ Snyder. Uh, very fortunate that this game happened to be this week, being Chargers and Bears. So, obviously, by now, you know Brett uh, doing some great work on the Chargers channel. And if you listen to the Bootleg Football Podcast, which if you don't, I strongly encourage you to go and do that. Uh, you know that EJ is a very big Bears fan. So, fellas, we appreciate the time today. EJ, we'll start with you, man. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing great. I got to pull out my 
bootleg Chargers shirt, which I secretly love because my hot take that everybody hates and will point all the swords at me for is that the Chargers dark blues are the best uniform in the NFL. Like, I love that color combination. It's the powders, man. You know, the <laughs> not for me. Not for me. Hey, we could we could spend all day long talking about uniform rankings if we really, really wanted to. Uh, there's some great throwbacks in the NFL right now, but uh, I'm with EJ, man. I, lo- I love the navies, and I hope one day we'll see the alternate navy helmet come back. Uh, Brett, thanks for coming back, man. You're uh, doing great work on the channel, like I said, and I'm excited to uh, pick your brain about some of the work that you've pre- previously done for the Chargers and how it's kind of melded together today. But how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing good. Uh, I'm I'm genuinely looking forward to the game on Sunday. Uh, I know there's been some frustrating moments this season, but uh, EJ, cover years. If there was ever an opportunity for a get right game, I think it's this Sunday, oh, and uh, I, I expect good things. You're not the first well, to call it to that, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to hear. Hopefully, hopefully that does come to fruition. We'll we'll preview some of the game. Um, but first and foremost, you guys do great work and we're sincerely very grateful for your time today. Um, one of the gold standards in the content production right now. And, uh, you guys have certainly influenced Tyler and I, and the way we've done our own podcast. So, uh, very, very grateful to have you guys on this afternoon. Influenced or stolen. I think we took the five truths things straight from them. So, uh, (laughs) imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. I think, right? Absolutely. hundred percent. We'll give you license. It's all good. Happy to help. <laughs> Thank you. It's a, it's a great segment because it really allows us to take a step back, watch the film, look at the data, and really evaluate things. You know, Tyler and I have never been, like, hot take artists or anything like that. Like, we, we like calling it like it is, and film and data are the best way to do that. So we're going to do a little bit of a variation of that. Um, I'm sure our listeners are, are a little bit tired of hearing from Tyler and I, but so we're going to hear from you guys today talking about the Chargers and the Bears and their truth. So... Um, we'll kick it off with that, and then we'll have some uh, key previews of this upcoming game. And uh, we're all big Thule fans on this show today, so we're going to talk about Thule again. So uh, thankfully, our listeners love listening about uh, Thule, and we will continue to talk about Thule because he's awesome. And uh, EJ and Brett were very early on that train, so excited to get some of their thoughts there. Um, Brett, we'll start with you today. Uh You've had, obviously, six games worth of Chargers tape to watch, six games worth of data. You did great work from the Kellen Moore perspective when the Chargers made that move. Now that we have six games worth, what is your biggest truth about the Chargers right now? Oh, man. My biggest truth is they're more balanced um, than perhaps we've seen them in quite some time. And I don't just mean in terms of like run pass ratio. I'm talking in terms of like the style of how they run the ball. Like it's a very versatile run game. Uh, It's a run game where they have a lot of answers for whatever front you're going to throw at them. Um, You know, I I, obviously Eck being down for a little bit impacted things, but like I, from a schematic perspective, I've been very impressed with what Kellen's done. Um, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of run games in the NFL that, that feel a little bit one dimensional in the sense that they have a few core concepts that they lean on and they don't really they don't really touch on anything else. But I, I've seen the Chargers run everything this year, like like outside zone, inside zone, power, counter, uh, like all manner of pin and pull. Um, it's it's been really a, a pleasure to watch like a truly balanced run game. Um, 
And, you know, overall, I, I think the offense has has benefited tremendously from that because they're harder to prepare for, especially in the red zone. They're they're much harder to prepare, prepare for in the red zone. And I think I think going forward, we still haven't seen them play their best game and they've played some pretty darn good ones. Uh, you know, losing Mike definitely hurts, but as QJ comes along and Keenan's having a wonderful year and, you know, Josh Palmer's doing his thing, like, I, I still think that uh, there's one more higher peak or maybe a couple more higher peaks that they can get to, and I'm really eager to see that. But the versatility of the run game is a big reason why. Yeah, regardless of how the Chargers perform on offense, I feel like, for better or worse, Kellen Moore is bringing variety to this offense. Do you feel that watching the tape, and either you can answer this, that the Chargers have kind of lost that because of Corey Lindsley and because of Justin Herbert's finger injury? And then as you talked about, there is one more spot they can go, another tier that they can reach. I mean, they had a really strong passing attack against the Vikings, for example. Maybe not so the rushing attack, or maybe they'll have a good rushing day, but not exactly the passing day. How do they get to that next level? What is that next thing? Or is the answer as simple as Quentin Johnston? I'll let you start, EJ. Well, it leads right into my truth, so I'll just I'll lead off with that because it dovetails perfectly. Couldn't have got a better transition. Chargers are not going to hit that stride or not going to reach that peak, which I think they can, but they're not going to do it until Kellen finds the plays that Justin can hit consistently. And consistently is the big word there because we see Justin hit all kinds of plays every week. Short ones that he shouldn't hit, uh, you know, escapism down the field. We know he's got a great arm, but they don't. It doesn't feel to me like the two of them have that play or that set of three plays that when things get off track and drives start to derail, they can go, hey, we're going to run play two. Everybody knows we like to run play two. Right. You're good at play two. Run play two. Get a completion. Move the sticks it still feels like too many drives die out because they just haven't hit that handshake yet between quarterback and offensive play caller, one of the most important relationships in sports where they just know this will work. It might not get us the first down all by itself, but it's going to get us back on track. It's going to build our confidence. It's going to keep this drive moving. And until they hit that, and they're going to have to do whatever they're going to have to do, I would posit that lowering the A dot for Justin is is a thing. He has the third highest A dot in the league right now. That's average depth of target. The farther you go down the field, the lower percentage the throw. He throws a lot of balls down the field during a game, and he doesn't complete enough of them right now to keep that going. They've got to shorten that up. They've got to find some ways to choke up on the bat, if you will, since we're in, you know, ALCS and NLCS series, and just keep things moving. And right now, it just feels like they're so close to doing that. And if they do that, those next peaks are available to them. If they don't, they're going to continue to kind of struggle, have good days, like you said, Tyler, in one phase or the other, but not really marry them together and beat quality opponents, like, soundly. Yeah, I think from from our perspective, that consistency factor has is, is really been missing because... Uh, you look at like the explosive play rate and you look at the core concepts that you mentioned the pin and pull, you mentioned counter, you know, they're great at hitting explosive plays off of that. Um, you know, in, in your initial breakdown of the passing game, Brett, you talked about 
the dagger plus a crossing route being one of the core concepts of Kellen Moore. And we're seeing that. And they're hitting Keenan. They're hitting Palmer out of that and creating these explosive plays. You know, the screen game has been really popping with Darius Davis as a way to create explosive plays. But if you look at, like, their overall, like, down-to-down success rate, like, it's pretty middle of the pack right now. So, Brett, like, how how do they take these core concepts and, you know, the hunt for explosive plays and balance that with what EJ is talking about and finding that consistency maybe a little bit more in the intermediate range to, to have that more consistent success rate going forward? I, I feel like the Vikings game we saw that, and that was, like, the, the best example of it where – you know, a lot of it was like, hey, we're working little speed outs to Keenan or like a mm. bullet slant to get us off the goal line. And I and I feel like the Vikings game, which statistically, if I recall correctly, was their best day passing from an efficiency yeah. standpoint. It was Herbert's best game, in our opinion. Yeah, like I, and I, I would agree with that. And a lot of it was because they worked all three levels, right? And it wasn't it wasn't just hunting for explosives. It was also like, hey, it's first and 10. We're on the goal line. Let's take something easy to get off of it here and give us some space. Oh, here's 12 yards to Keenan, um, you know, to give us that space to do so. Um, in addition to uh, in addition to all the other, you know, short and intermediate body blows that they were landing throughout the game, I would like to see them – as EJ said, do do more of that. And I kind of feel like that's what what they brought Quentin here to do because he can take <laughs> some of those shorter shorter passes and kind of, you know, turn them into explosives after the catch. Like he was by far the best yards after catch receiver in college football last year. It was like 8.7 yards was his average yeah. yards after the catch per catch. Like that's insane. So – you know, if they are going to call a little a little slant, or if they are, uh, you know, running like some sort of spacing concept where it's it's present your numbers, catch the ball, and go. Like, I I would like to see them do more of that with Quentin, just because the more you get the ball in his hands, the more good things are going to happen. Like he's just so explosive and so fast that naturally he's gonna he's gonna get explosives that way. Um, and once they do that, it's going to open up everything else. Like, and and so I think, I think more body blows in general is a good thing. It it doesn't even matter how you get them; just get them. Yeah, I would agree there. It was definitely a surprise for all of us as Chargers fans to see the usage for Quinton Johnston, even with Mike Williams going down. I think he's had fewer targets with Mike Williams down than with Mike Williams healthy. And of course, post by Josh Palmer had a groin injury too. So it's been a bit of a surprise because, like you talked about, whatever you feel or felt about Quentin Johnson as a receiver, first guy, second guy, third guy, fourth guy on your board or whatever, undeniably he was the best after-the-catch guy. I mean, he was like, you know, Patrick Mahomes on every graph is up there. That was Quentin Johnson with yak and missed tackles force. Like, that was his thing. So it's a surprise to see the lack of involvement in that specific way so far. I don't know if the return of Jalen Guyton at some point freeze that up for him you now have your speedy downfield threat to do more of those vertical things to open him up but it's definitely been a surprise so we'll see what happens here um ej why do you think they haven't quite gone to that with quentin johnson yet because it really just feels like you're taking a player who can do something so specifically well that he wasn't just not just good at in college but i mean compared to your receivers in this charters room last year he was so much better than those guys at yak 
missed tackles for us. Like he was the missing piece to complement this team, regardless of how you felt about him and how he can develop. He immediately had a role. They haven't leaned into that role. What do you think has been happening so far? I'm not sure. I wish I knew <laughs> <Fair> enough <laughs> because I think it meshes really well with what I said about Justin at the top, right? If you want to pull that average depth of target down, you have a guy to do it who is tailor-made. We're all saying the same thing, that he has a very specific skill set and he was the best at it. Um, you know, Matt Harmon, who does uh, Reception Perception, talks about a trump card, a skill that a player has yeah. that is well above other players. Like, that's his trump card. You have that. And it would work really well to keep your offense moving right now. And you're not doing it. Instead, you're saying, hey, you're big and tall and fast. I want to run you down the field and throw balls over your shoulder. And his completion percentage on those was actually quite a bit lower than everybody thought they should right. be in college. That was something he didn't do as well or even up to, quote, unquote, replacement level, if you want to use that as a metric. So the idea that they have this superpower drafted him presumably like they saw the same thing we did and said hey he's really good at that we need that in our offense we'll draft him up high this isn't like a third round pick this is a primary draft pick and it would help our offense keep moving and by the way we're just not going to use it we're going to try and expand his repertoire and not do that at all like <laughs> i don't i don't understand that choice schematically and I understand things like, oh, why don't you pass it more? And, you know, because the quarterback checked out to a run. But, like, why are you calling routes that he's not good at and you're not calling a lot of routes to sort of get him on track? We talk about scheming quarterback touches. You need to scheme Quentin Johnson a touch a quarter that is in his roundhouse. And he has several to choose from. You know, you have a palette of three or four routes. Pick one every quarter. Go to him. Make sure it happens. Build his confidence. We're going to see those explosives. He has that skill set. It's proven. And they just haven't used it. And I wish I had the answer. I don't. One little change that I, I hope happens going forward here is more reps from the slot for, for Quentin Johnston. That was going to be such a huge aspect of the Mike Williams plan. Um, under Joe Lombardi, Mike was running like 12% of his snaps from the slot. Basically, everything was out wide. This year in the first three games under Kellen, it was 29% of his reps were from the slot. And not to say that you obviously replace Mike Williams with Quentin Johnston, but there's a part of that offense that is just missing right now. And Quentin Johnston is only running 14% of his uh, passing snaps from the slot. And I would like to see that go up. I think that's an easy way for him to create some touches going forward. And uh, leading into the season, Brett did a great uh, video of Quentin Johnston's skill set. And I think that that lines up pretty well for me. Alrighty, let's pivot to the Bears now because I rarely get to talk about the Bears. I rarely watch the Bears. It's basically an every four years sort of thing. So, Brett, we'll start with Trust you. Trust me. I understand why. You're, you're not missing much. Don't worry. <laughs> well, we're about to find out, and I'm not even entirely sure the Chargers will win this game. So, Brett, um, leading into this Bears team, what is your, your truth about them so far, having watched them this season? Oh, man. Um, my truth about them is on some level, they are already regretting, uh, not taking Jalen Carter mm. over Darnell mm. Wright mm -hmm. because the pass rush has been 
really, really bad. And I understand the reasons why they didn't take Jalen Carter, but at the same time, seeing what Jalen is doing uh, in Philly right now and then seeing what the Bears defensive line is doing, I do think there is a, a slight tinge of regret there. And Darnell himself has been very good in the run game, but very inconsistent in the pass game. And if 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 you had to ask me which is the better player right now, like it's Jalen Carter, no questions asked, not even close. And so, again, I understand why they did it at the time. I do think there's a little bit of regret there. And I also think that there's uh, a lot of regret that they didn't take Thule. Because even, <laughs> let's just say they still take Darnell Wright. Yeah with all the assets that they had after that top 10 pick, knowing that they did not have a good pass rush, Thule was there. Thule was available. They didn't take him. And Thule is top four among rookies in pressures right now, and now they got to face him this week. And, again, if, we, if we're doing a rookie-on-rookie battle, Thule on Darnell Wright, I would favor Thule in that battle, especially in pass pro. He's been magnificent. So, I, again, I understand why they did what they did, but they let a lot of really good defensive players end up on other teams, especially, particularly defensive linemen. They happen to be facing one of them this week. And uh, I think uh, I think he's going to let them know that they shouldn't have passed. Yeah, we well, were, we were big fans of Darnell Wright on, uh, on our podcast. But, you know, going as high as he went, I think we'll, we'll see. EJ, what are, you, what are your thoughts on Darnell so far and, and what he's been able to do? I know Braxton Jones is also hurt, which probably doesn't, like, help matters there. But what are you seeing from Darnell Wright on a week-to-week basis? Darnell Wright is improving every week, and he's had really good plays. He hasn't hit a level of consistency yet, but he is a rookie. And what he did in the Raiders game was – an absolutely sort of lunch pail gritty performance in his, in the second half, he couldn't use his left arm. Like if you go back to the all 22, he's literally hanging his left arm off the side Oh wow! and he's handling Max Crosby, the best edge rusher in the NFL, not taking any questions at this time with one hand. <laughs> all right. Like he's rerouting Max Crosby with his right arm and that's it. He's okey-dokey linebackers with one arm getting out in run pro and just stuffing people with one arm. He's a great player. He has not achieved a great level of play yet. The injury is concerning. We'll see if he's, you know, full go this week or not. But to be able to do that against really quality players when you are clearly, I'm just going to say it, injured, like not hurt, injured, you can't move your arm, was super-duper impressive. And... Again, to see him paired with a guard next to him with a lot of power. Tevin moved over to the right side last week for the first time. Um, Nate's been in and out as a right guard, and they've been just a rotating cast of characters on the offensive line. That's just been a problem sort of beginning to end. But it was a little glimpse of what the Bears thought they had in their offensive line in terms of their preseason lineup before injuries struck. And they did amazingly well. When they ran to their right side against the Raiders, they had 13 carries for 81 yards, 6.2 per attempt. And again, Darnell Wright didn't have his left arm for the second half, so that includes those numbers, nine first downs. When they went to the other side, Cody Whitehair and Larry Borum, not so much. 17 carries for 56 yards, 3.3 per attempt, and two first downs. Now, those stats are credited to our buddy Bill Zimmerman, but when they went right against the Raiders, they made hay. 
behind that right side. And it's a, it's a sort of glimpse of hope. It is not the whole thing. Darnell Wright is not a finished player, but a little bit of like the bears going, yeah, this is what we thought we were going to get. Look at that. And just those two powerhouses on the right side, beating people up. If it was me, I would keep them there. I would rotate whoever else we need on the rest and just keep Tevin and Darnell as the young stalwarts and have them go beat the hell out of people. Cause they're both really capable of that. Well, that's a, I that's think a was, lot of fun. Tevin, honestly, like Tevin, Tevin for me was the difference maker because especially when they were running all the zone stuff, because Darnell only had one arm, like you saw Tevin literally crack people in the ribs and <laughs> shove them outside where it's like, all right, now you got him. Darnell. Yeah, like got Tevin, him. Tevin was very conscious of, of what Darnell could and couldn't do. And I think he played a whale of a game at right guard. Mm. Um, and I, I do think that on some level, and I, I can't remember if it was during the show or not when EJ mentioned there was like the vast majority of Bajan's passes were eight yards or less. I think a lot of that was because they knew that if they had to hold onto the ball longer to go down the field, they probably weren't going to hold up in pass protection overall. Um, but boy, they could really run the ball. Well, yeah, that, that's kind of all our, grit, uh, all sorry, you know, go out. No, you're good. Go after it, kind of bowl. You know, Max Crosby, Darnell Wright, Tevin Jenkins. That's not a bad set of matchups to watch there. I do have to ask about then about Tyson Badgen. What were the expectations going into this game? Was it just a range of expectations? Did you expect 2.5 yards as your average depth of target? And why was that so successful for them? Because the Raiders, they couldn't stop it. I. I I, I can't speak for EJ. Again, EJ and I have not compared notes before this appearance whatsoever. So Which EJ is always fun with me on this. Um, <laughs> that is exactly what I expected. It worked, oh, okay. but that is exactly what I expected. Just based on on what we've seen from Tyson Tyson as a player um, in preseason, as as well as at Shepard, because EJ and I are degenerates and did have Shepard. <laughs> We appreciate that, exactly that what by I the way. <laughs> yep. and, and and you know, obviously, we saw the Senior Bowl too. Like we 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 were able to to watch all the the teams the team practices from Senior Bowl and kind of see him him throw it around and everything. And like that's stylistically like what he's good at. So I wasn't surprised by the average depth of target. Slightly surprised by the result. Like slightly surprised <laughs> that it worked at the NFL level. Not surprised by the plan. No, I would agree that. I, if anything, it was a little more conservative even than I expected, but I expected short to medium in that order. If short worked, go to medium. Short worked, they never went to medium. Uh, I think he had four targets over 10 yards of depth, and only two of them were completed. And again, after he came in in relief duty in his first, you know, his first outing, he ends up throwing a duck of an interception to kind of seal the game and gets, you know, strip sacked early. So I think they really wanted to build confidence, lean into his skill set, and everybody rallied. The reason it worked and surprised Brett and I in terms of effectiveness, even though it was kind of what we expected to see coming, was everybody rallying around him, including the offensive linemen, all the pass catchers. Darnell Mooney got involved in a way that he hasn't gotten involved for really the whole season. All the running backs running hard, you know, backup running backs at this point. You're down to third and fourth stringers. Everybody was just grinding for yards and leaning for the sticks and taking on that one extra piece of contact. And there was a real energy going through the offense. But I want to caution people, it's not sustainable. Like, Tyson Bajan is a really good QB, too. He is 
just exactly what you want as QB2. He can come in, he can execute the offense, he can be accurate, he can be quick, and as he gains experience in the league, he can stretch into that medium zone. We saw him do that at Shepard where he had a high comfort level, and he worked very well in that zone. He is not a deep ball thrower right now. I'm not saying he's not ever going to be, but that's, again, not the strength you want to lean into. If you squat on the Bears' short passing game right now, they're done. <laughs> like, Because there isn't another hit, right? Because if you are playing cover three, press, and you come up and you say nothing in the five-yard zone, I don't care if it's run or pass, we're just coming forward. We're going to snuff everything in a five-yard zone and and just dare you to throw it over our heads. I don't think there's consistency in that offense for the Bears, and it's going to take away all the things that worked against the Raiders. Well, uh, that's that's great because the Chargers are doing the opposite <laughs> of that right now. Uh, right now, the strategy seems to be daring teams to throw it short. So uh, they yeah, can do it's that. Really, a, a frustrating game plan the last couple of weeks against teams that also like to throw it short. Um, so it, it just it, it blew my mind looking at Tyson Bajan's numbers because it was the average of the target was extremely low, but then his average time to throw was pretty high. And I was like, okay, normally that's not the case. Normally it's like when you're eight on his low, it's it's quick. You're pulling the trigger quick, but that was the opposite. So, you know, Brandon Staley said on Sunday that the team needs to reset. And I think a part of that has been the secondary performances and, and just the, the constant soft zone and off coverages here. This is, this is the game where you say, okay, Michael Davis, let's let you get back to your form. Let's get you at the line. Let's press DJ Moore. And let's mess with the rhythm. Whether or not that happens this week, I think, is another conversation. Brett, what did you make of that defense from the Chargers the last two weeks? Because I watched the preview show before week seven for the Chiefs and Chargers game, and you said you were shouting things from the, the stands and saying, look, you cannot play this soft. You cannot play this way. And if you do that against the Chiefs, they're going to get you. Now, granted, the Chiefs are the best at that, so you're going to struggle regardless, but... 192 yards after the catch generated by the Chiefs in that game. What did you make of that? And, and do you feel the Chargers would pivot away from that this game? I, you know, I don't know if they're going to pivot away from it this game because I feel like their insistence on playing this this way stylistically indicates mm. a, a lack of trust in mm. their speed. Mm. Like you don't, you don't play this far over the top of every single receiver if you think that your guys can run hip to hip in like press coverage and the fact that they insist on not doing that rightly or wrongly indicates that at least the coaching staff thinks that they can't do that. Um, which is a whole different conversation of like, okay, well then how did the secondary get into this particular state where you don't think you have the speed? Um, like, do do you not think that Michael Davis can play press coverage all day anymore? Like, do you not think that Asante, uh, has has the second and third gear to, to stay with guys hip to hip down the field? Like, do you not think that the safeties can run man to man with the 34 year old Travis Kelsey? If so, that's a whole different problem that we are now in and arguably a worse problem. So I feel like the style is determined by what the coaching staff thinks is possible. And mm. apparently what the coaching staff thinks is possible is we are going to create an umbrella and we're going to give you whatever you want underneath. And we're going to try to tackle and we're going to live and die by our ability to tackle. Couldn't do it against Dallas. Definitely couldn't do it against Kansas City. And the problem is Tyson Bajant is more than happy uh, <laughs> to 
give the ball to DJ Moore in space and say, go ahead, do all the work, DJ. And, you know, if you thought that Travis Kelsey was good at burning angles, wait to see DJ Moore. So it's Aww. it's a frustrating it's a frustrating <laughs> recipe because I feel like the Bears are content to do exactly what the Chargers are, are going to allow them to do. And it's going to have to be a Herculean performance by the Chargers pass rushers again to to get there before Tyson can get the ball out or at minimum throw their hands up and, and clog these throwing lanes and try to get some batted passes. Because it doesn't seem to me that the coaching staff believes that the secondary has the juice to play the the press man coverage style that, in theory, would frustrate this Bears offense. Well, we'll see how that one goes, I guess. Um, <laughs> I, I, I generally, and we'll get back to the run game here, because I generally am very, very excited. And we can pivot like this into the Thule conversation, too, because... You know, the Bears are running the football more than any team over the last three weeks with Justin Fields, with Tyson Bajan. They're running for more yards per game than any team over the last three weeks. Their success rate is really good. And despite the struggles in the passing game, the Chargers' run defense has been very good this year. And a large part of that is Thule and what he's able to do consistently on a down-to-down basis, the way he's been able to you know, close space against pullers or, or just the brute force against outside zone. It's been a ton of fun to watch. And the way that EJ is describing uh, Tevin Jenkins and, and uh, obviously Darnell Wright, for me who loves the trenches, gets me pretty excited because both Klumak and Thule are great against against the trenches, uh, in the trenches, so to speak, right now. So EJ, what's, what's kind of the secret sauce to the Bears' rushing attack outside of Tevin and, and Darnell being bully balls. What's kind of their, their MO right now? Well, right now is the most important phrase there. They didn't have any secret sauce early in the year. They were not running the ball particularly well. They were getting some explosives, but in terms of, we talked about down-to-down consistency in terms of the Chargers, down-to-down consistency for the Bears early in the season, largely because of the O-line struggles and the O-line shuffles, especially at center, they they were just the bad news bears. They could not get out of their own way. They had linemen blocking their own linemen. Um, it was it was a mess. And about three, three and a half weeks ago, it started to clean up, and we started to see a little bit more consistency. Some of that was return to health. Players returning to the lineup, getting players back in their more natural positions. But then you got running back injuries. <laughs> so line came up, running backs went down. You would expect that they would stay in that sort of middling territory, but they picked right up where they left off. And that's largely because the running back room is probably the strongest depth room that the Bears have. They were legitimately four deep at running back. Very few teams are four deep. So pivoting to the third and fourth, third being Deontay Foreman, like Deontay Foreman was stride for stride with Nick Chubb through the last eight weeks of last of last season. Like if you look at Nick Chubb's stats and Deontay mm-hmm. Foreman's stats from last year, second half of last year, they're the same. It is a carbon copy because Steve Wilkes with the Panthers said, we're going to run the ball. He's a very talented guy as long as he gets some downhill blocks and gets going. Don't expect him to run outside zone, but they leaned into that and said, cool, we got a couple of hulks on the inside. We're going to run some power concepts and we're going to blast Deontay Foreman. And, you know, Darrington Evans, who was signed away from another team's practice squad, spent time with the Bears last year, so he was sort of familiar with the playbook. He's looked way better than he ever looked with the Bears in the past or really anybody else. And, again, it's that 
thunder and lightning. I hate that that saying, but that's the way it's been working right now. Deontay Foreman's been pounding away. Darrington Evans has been the slasher, the outside concept, the big um, cutback counter guy, and they've found success. And it's a little surprising to me just because, well, at least last week, they didn't have any threat of a deep passing game. Like, I I believe the Raiders pretty much understood by the second half, like, Tyson Bajan's not going deep on us. We should just we should just pack everybody forward. And they still had success. So mm. you can say what you want about the Raiders' defense. Hasn't been tremendous as a, as a unit. They lost to Von Diablo last week. I get it. But the Bears had more success even than, I think, with all those variables figured in than either of us thought they would. It's looked really good, and it's been, as a guy that loves the run game, pretty refreshing because the first month of the season as a Bears run game was not pretty to look at. We were just talking about why it wasn't working and where it was failing and uh, why it wasn't supporting the offense as an equal part and and the load that was putting on Justin and everything else. In the last couple of weeks, we've been able to like, hey, look at this. (laughs) Great efficiency, lots of first downs, some explosives. Like this part of the offense is carrying – the offensive part of the team. Yeah, you guys, I believe, are the Bears, I should say, are third in rush EPA the last few weeks. I mean, looking really good there. Not a surprise. I think they finished last season second in rush EPA, but that was you know, Justin Fields helps with those things. <laughs> I'm sure a guy like Mercedes Lewis also helps there. Yes. It'll be a big matchup this week between one of the oldest guys in the league, Mercedes Lewis, versus Tuli Tupelotu, one of the youngest guys who just turned 21. How has he, and Brett, we'll start with you, and last question so I can get you guys out of here. How has he either defied expectations or met your expectations? Because he's been awesome. And like you said, the Bears maybe are regretting passing on him. But for the Chargers, we're loving it. Uh, he has been phenomenal in, in all in all respects. You know, again, he, he's fourth among rookies and pressures. Two of the three guys ahead of him are Jalen Carter and Will Anderson, who were arguably the two best players in the entire draft class. So he's he's mentioned in the same breath as them. And, oh, by the way, also he leads the Chargers in run stops. You know, he lines up everywhere and does everything, four-point stance, three-point stance. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll put him in a two-point stance over the guard, and he'll backdoor guards and get TFLs that way. Like, he's been fantastic. They're playing, it, playing him um, at a lighter weight than he did at USC. And so his quickness and fluidity, I think, has been highlighted more in the NFL than it was at the collegiate level. And I would just keep him at this weight because For sure. guards seemingly <laughs> can't handle his quickness. But he still retained a lot of the power that he had when he was heavier. And, uh, and so, you know, even these tackles that are 315, 320, 325, like he's getting into their chest and just rocking them back. So I think the Chargers absolutely knocked it out of the park. And again, you you compare you compare Thule to the edge rotation for the Bears. I mean, the Chargers have three of them at this point, but like the, the Bears are last in the NFL in pass rush win rate. They're at twenty nine percent. Thule by himself, <laughs> you know, would would be uh, I think the the pressure leader uh, in Chicago right now. So uh, again, Chargers are very lucky that he fell that far. EJ was a massive Thule guy coming out. Like he thought he should have been a first round pick, and then to see him slide and slide and slide and then not end up in Chicago was heartbreaking for him. Uh, But uh, Chargers (laughs) are very happy about it. Well, I remember, uh, I think I said this before, but I remember 
listening to your guys' show about Thule, and I, that was the first time I went back and watched him, and the first game I watched was Stanford, <laughs> and they had him playing nose guard that week for, like, 35 snaps, and I'm like, I'm like, EJ and Brett said this guy is an edge rusher. Like, what is going on here? Uh, but I stuck with it, and I, I like Thule not as much as, as EJ did, but... Uh, you know, again, influencing the show, influencing us, because I, I would not have stuck with that. I would not have watched him play nose guard and stuck yep. with it, if not for your guys' opinions there. So, EJ, uh, what are you seeing from Thule from afar as as a Bears fan right now? Well, as a Bears fan, it's just tears, right? I I, I wanted him very badly to be a Bears. <laughs> Uh, but I, he's one of those guys that you fall in love with this film. He was on our honorable mentions list for our defensive gems episode. Was a strong advocate. Thought he was going to be a value. I thought he should go higher. I also kind of knew he wouldn't, though. Uh, I thought the league would discount his mix of skills and that he would be a second or third rounder. And to me, that represented a huge value. So that made him even more attractive to me. Um, I'd say he's met my expectations for him, but I had super high expectations, maybe the highest in the draft community that I know about. So, you know, his his usage is fantastic. And when I was digging around for this episode, I found a fun one. Brett, you're going to love this. He leads edge rushers in press coverage snaps for the league. Mm. Of course he does. At first, <laughs> sure. at, at first I was like, oh, let's just see if he leads all rookies. And I screwed the filter up and I didn't sort it for rookies. And he was still at the top. And I was like, oh, crap. He's leading the NFL in press coverage snaps for edge rushers. He has 11, which doesn't seem like a ton, but it's a whole lot more than obviously anybody else playing edge in the NFL. Again, inside, outside versatility you talk about in college, his usage, they had him slid in, you know, nose, two eye. Um, they played him at four eye. He would occasionally play wide nine. And he just terrorized people from all those alignments. Tons of effort, tons of physicality, um, and a lot of savvy. He, he didn't always just get it done by out-athleting people and oftentimes put himself in the right position that required – film study that required an understanding if I do this, the offensive lineman's going to do this, and then I'm going to be in the spot to do that. I loved all that stuff about his game. He's done that and more for the Chargers. Plus, you know, apparently he covers. So why not? Like, let's do it. <laughs> why not, indeed? I had not seen that stat until uh, until just now. So that's uh, that's awesome. So uh, along with everything else, he's, he's a great – uh, great interview, great guy, super humble off the field. We, we, uh, we're big fans of Thule on this show. So, um, all right, that's going to do it for us. Uh, Brett, EJ, thank you guys so much for joining us today. We are super grateful for your time. We kept you longer than uh, we initially planned, so uh, appreciate the graciousness of your time. Uh, Chargers fans, sincerely, go check them out. If you're a draft nerd, they are the best in the business in covering the draft. Uh, if you want deep dives on every team in the summer, uh, definitely go encourage you to go check those out. They put a ton of work into that, as we were talking about before the show. Uh, sincerely, one of the gold standards in the industry right now, and we really appreciate your time. So, uh, Brett, EJ, thanks for thanks for joining us so much, and we, uh, we'll talk soon, I'm sure. Thank you for having us. Yeah, we appreciate it. 